What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to From the Pink Seats Podcast of the State of Louisville Podcast Network. Now, here's your host, Jacob Lane, Matt McGavin, and Vince Lococo. The record shows that this is season four from the Pink Seats Podcast. Matt McGavick, Jacob Lane, the host, alongside Vince Lococo tonight. Um, we are back for 2023 football. We are here for the fourth season of the show. Gentlemen, how are we doing? And and to think we started this podcast in the middle of the COVID season. <laughs> it's crazy. We've come a long way, man. Second second head Jeez. coach. I mean, man, Vince, how are you doing, buddy? Good. Whenever you guys started during the COVID season, I was in the middle of just trying to keep your guys' entertainment alive. That's right. So, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Then you then you joined the show and uh, history was written. And um, all downhill since then. That's right. Uh, <laughs> continue enrolling downhill like a massive dumpster fire that we are. Totally kidding. Uh, but we're excited. <laughs> Football season is back as we kick off a new season here of the show uh, and really start to dive into the season. It's just a couple of weeks away. Uh, what? About a month and a half, essentially. Like 40-ish uh, and- days. Yeah. Yeah, man. And so we are excited to get into the thick of things. We're going to be joined by a special guest tonight. Uh, we'll get into that here momentarily um, as we dive into schematics and X and O's. I know we've been doing a lot of interviews. Uh, we've got one more, to, two more to come, um, but uh, I'm excited to, to get into some really specific types of, of X's and O's. It's it's time. It's time. <laughs> so we'll be joined tonight by Drew Schneider, who is writer over at Hammer and Rails covered Purdue football and also covers Clemson football. Nice little combination. So very familiar with Louisville uh, in general. And so tonight we are going to talk X's and O's. Uh, and when I tell you that reading through Drew's work without knowing much about Drew at all, he seems to me like to be the Keith Wynn of Purdue football in terms of the X's and O's, the film breakdowns. So we are really excited about that because that's what we do here. And we're going to talk about a lot of different things over the course of a two episode series here with Drew as we dive into the offense and defense. Drew, welcome on in, man. How are you? Doing good, man. I'm just sweating, dude. I've been sweating for like two months, but I'm sweating even more today. It's uh, super hot down here in Athens. I don't know why anybody comes and plays football in this town because, whew, buddy, it's 
hot. Yeah, man. Kirby must be selling something good, and they gotta have a lot of ice. Cause man, <laughs> it's it's the same here, dude. It's constant swamp ass weather around these parts. You just gotta be prepared for the multi shirt changeover throughout the day. You know, four, five, six, seven shirts for us sweaty guys. Like that's just how it goes. I'm just going straight tank. Straight tank tops now, but straight straight tank tops. We cut the sleeves off; it's a little easier, so we're we're doing all right. And I'm in in between the like skinny, but like kind of chubby, so I can't really wear my like go shirtless. But if I had the physique, I would trust me. I'd be shirtless all the time. My nine year old is constantly embarrassed by me. I don't care. Whatever. (laughs) I can relate, man. Well, hey, let's talk some some football, specifically Jeff Brom. I want to ask you this. Let's start just kind of take me back into the Wayback Machine here. The Louisville job opens for the second time. Uh, Obviously, we know what happened um, back in what what, what that was 2019, where uh, Jeff Brom ultimately said no. But take me through just the life of a Purdue fan over the course of the job opening and Jeff Brom ultimately leaving to the new coach being hired and just where the fans are mentally with that whole situation i think this go around everybody was kind of resigned to the fact that this was happening um the first time came around it was louisville wasn't in louisville and purdue were kind of in the same spot but i felt like the second time around that uh, brahms walking into a better situation isn't having to do a full rebuild um and so i think the louisville job the second time around, it, it was too much. You know, mama calls. Sometimes you got to answer, and you know, no hard feelings for that. I don't think Purdue holds that against uh, Jeff Brom. I mean, we've got Matt Painter uh, as our head coach, so we get uh, basketball coach, so we we get the calling the alumni back to the uh, mothership when uh, things are needed. Like I said, Drew, you are the the football X's and O's guy, it seems, for Purdue. Just real quickly, tell me a little bit how you got to cover Purdue specifically. Oh, you know, uh, I was uh, writing some other some stuff um, on Purdue that wasn't on, just on my own blog. And, uh, the, uh, and Travis Miller, who was running Hammer and Rails and started Hammer and Rails uh, before, and then it sort of moved over to SB Nation. And um, so I was just like, you know, I'm writing all this stuff for free. I may as well eventually get paid for it. And so, uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, sort of, sort of how I went. I have an English degree, and I've coached pretty and played pretty much everything. And so, you know, I'm a sports guy who can actually, who can also like write and talk. So I'm in demand a little bit. <laughs> 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 must must be nice but uh kind of going back to brahm and the seeming inevitability that he would end up at louisville given the opportunity after that first sort of semi flirtation with the job opening back in 19 did were purdue fans kind of resigned to the fact that it almost seemed inevitable at some point that he might leave yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Purdue is probably in the same situation like Kansas basketball was with Roy Williams over the years, and you're just kind of like, eventually it's gonna happen. Like he's gonna go back. It's too much, too big of a draw. It's still got the family ties in town, and it's just a short drive down. Um, and it was just sort of when is going to be a good time for him. And as soon as Satterfield jumped to Cincinnati, I was like, well, that settles that pretty, pretty quick. I think Louisville had one guy in mind uh, when that happened. And I don't think Purdue 
could offer. I mean, Purdue's got Big Ten money. That's all I keep hearing is they've got the the war chest from the uh, Big Ten network. But you know, there wasn't a contract Purdue could offer Jeff Brom to keep him from a what looks like a pretty decent Louisville job uh, coming in now um, after uh, Satterfield instead of you know coming in after Bobby P's blow up for last year. <laughs> yeah, Vince. <laughs> friend here has some some ptsd from that year being a, a player on that team and can re- relate and we've been doing a series this offseason where we've chatted with former players and they've all talked about the dynamics between jeff brahm and bobby petrino so it's interesting you say that that he didn't follow up bobby uh, and instead is following up satterfield let's uh, this episode that we're starting here with the, the first here we're really going to focus on the offense so let's start with the most important position on the field and that is the quarterback position and one of the things that we've talked about when we have, have previewed the season and, and you know kind of broken down the film of Jack Plummer is the fact that obviously he's a big pickup because he was productive at, at uh, California last season. Um, and prior to that had been in the Jeff Brom scheme for a couple of years and is familiar. That's the kind of pickup that you want when you're you know trying to have quick success. Uh, but there's been a lot of conversation about Jack Plummer in terms of not being, um, you know, really productive at Purdue and not being the guy that many thought he would. So I kind of want to start with that, man. What do you think of Jack Plummer overall? And what what are strengths and weaknesses that Louisville fans can kind of be prepared to watch for? So I wrote an article right when this quarterback controversy was happening. Uh, I think it was you know two years ago. Uh, and Plummer started this season. So O'Connell finished the previous season because Plummer broke his leg or ankle. And then there was the, uh, you know, they went through camp, fall, spring camp, fall camp. Nobody knew who was going to start. Plummer uh, took the job and then uh, lost it after Notre Dame. I was always on Team O'Connell uh, just after the first couple of games. Um, Plummer's problem at Purdue, and I don't know if it was physical or mental, but he would not throw the ball down the field. And Jeff Brom needs somebody to throw the ball down the field. So the first couple games uh, when Plummer was throwing, you know, 70%, uh, you know, completion percentage, but those passes were going five yards. Um, And then what you would see uh, sort of almost starting what Notre Dame did uh, that basically O'Connell took the job is they just dropped their linebackers and said, you're either going to throw it in front of our linebackers or we're going to tackle you, or you're going to throw it deep because we're just going to flood this middle zone and make you either dink it or, or, or throw it deep, take the top of it. And Plummer would not take the top off uh, of the defense. And so they just kept squishing us. Uh, and, you know, we, throw the ball to David Bell on a little swing pass and he'd be immediately have three guys hanging on him or same with, uh, you know, Rondale, we'd throw a little drag routes for Rondale Moore and he'd try to turn the corner and then he'd try to turn the corner again. He just kept running into people until he finally got out of bounds because Plummer and his time at Purdue just did not let it go. Um, and I think you, I saw that less in the, uh, the previous year um, before he got hurt. And then, you know, when he came back, he just was not letting the ball go and hitting those tight windows. Um, and that's what you need that Jeff Brom's offense pretty much requires that. And that's actually kind of a good segue because you mentioned, 
Like that's something you plumber need to do in this Jeff Brom offense was throw the ball down the field. And ever since Brom came on, we've heard about, oh, this is more of an open pro style type of offense. But to those who haven't had the luxury of, you know, sitting through Purdue games and, and have, having an intimate knowledge of what is going on on the football field, what would you say are some of the core philosophies when it comes to specifically the passing offense? Uh, Braum is very, so like a lot of times I say Braum runs a tech mobile offense. So you can hit the A button and pass it to the wide receiver or the B button and pass it to the, the tight end. And that like, that's, that's his deal. Like he's very good at scheming individual players open. Uh, Charlie Jones, David Bell, Rondale Moore. And then you had, um, you know, last year, uh, Payne Durham at tight end, and you had and oh my gosh, my name, my brain is freezing up. Um, he plays tight end for the chart or for the Rams now. Uh, Bryson, uh, oh, I know who you're talking about, but Hopkins. I don't mind. Bryson Hopkins, there it is, Bryson Hopkins, yeah. and he was a uh, big for Purdue. Um, and and so those are the two things. He's going to throw it to the one, number one receiver. He's going to throw it to the tight end. Everybody else is going to sort of get the scraps. Um, but Purdue's always had a primary receiver and tight end. And then everybody else is, you know, almost an afterthought. It's kind of weird. Um, so last year it was Charlie Jones. And then the year before that, it was David Bell. And then it was Rondale Moore. And that first year at Purdue is funny. To, uh, sort of what I want to talk about, because you might see this a little bit, Louisville, is it took Devron almost half that season to figure out uh, who he was going to throw it to in the Iowa game. He found this Juco transfer called named Anthony Mahungu from France. And you had not seen him at all the entire season. And all of a sudden he goes off against Iowa and then Purdue's offense just catches fire at the end of the season. They win their last four games beat uh, to get bowl eligible beat Arizona in the bowl game. But really as soon as he found that guy that he liked to throw it to, uh, the offense came together. So that's um, really what I, you know, that's what he did, did at Purdue. You, you mentioned that uh, the Tech Mobile offense is actually a good way to describe that because, like, just looking at some of the pure numbers, I mean, it seems like he very much subscribes to the feed the studs notion. But in the same breath, you mentioned that it seems like everyone else kind of gets the scraps. And just looking at the pure numbers, it seems like that also includes the running backs to an extent because it's on paper that's the stats like per game nationally were not good, but then you've got a walk-on and Jevin Mockaby goes off for over 900 rushing yards. W would you say that what is the running backs, I guess, overall role in this pass heavy offense? Like, how much of a factor is the running back truly in this offense? Uh, Jeff Brown will run the ball when it is easy to run the ball. Jeff Brown does not run the ball when it's hard to run the ball. Um, so the opposite of Scott Satterfield is what I'm hearing. Yeah, Scott Satterfield <laughs> yeah. when it's easy and when it's difficult to run the ball. Just yeah, run the ball. no, yeah, Jeff Brown would much rather throw the ball. Like if if he can throw the ball, he's gonna throw the ball. Um, the running backs, I mean, Purdue had just, uh, when he, the first year he was there, he had a couple of holdover running backs that he trusted. And then there was a couple seasons, say 2020, 2021, where he just didn't trust 
trust the backs and they didn't do anything. 2022, Devin Mockaby sort of hit the scene as a walk-on and uh, he had a little trust in him. He had a little more wiggle than any other, other of the backs and he was a sort of a, a better receiver out of the backfield. Uh, but um, yeah, running the ball is just not, is not what he likes to do. Like you can tell, I mean, everybody knows he wants to throw the ball. That's his, that's his bag, which is weird because when he was at Western Kentucky and when I was sort of when Purdue hired Brom, I sold the Purdue fans on this guy runs a balanced offense. He looks like he likes <laughs> to throw the ball, but look at what he did at Western Kentucky. The last two years, he's got a couple guys over a thousand yards, averaging five yards a carry, and that just never happened at Purdue. How much do you think of that is he gets to the Big Ten, right, and he sees these defenses that have these just massive defensive linemen, you know, just the traditional stud defensive teams, right? Like think think of the, the best defenses you've seen over the last several years in the Big Ten, and, and he gets there, and how much of it is him saying, well, shit, like I, I do like to throw the ball, and I do like to run the ball, but we're going to have to probably throw the ball to set ourselves apart here versus him just being unable to kind of figure out how to get a rhythm running the football throughout those years. Probably a little A, a little B. Because, um, like you say, it's the Big Ten, and one of sort of the, the, the prompts y'all had that were like looking at is like kind of explain Purdue's flops in some weird games. And he doesn't like Nevada, he wouldn't run the ball against Nevada. And he wouldn't run the ball a lot of times where you're like, okay, I get not running the ball against like Michigan or Wisconsin, but come on boys, it's Nevada in the fourth quarter and we're fading. Let's let's just hand the ball off and get out of town. And uh, yeah, he's not, not down for that. Um, if he thinks he's got a rhythm passing the ball, he's gonna pass the ball till the end of the game. Um, he will occasionally get a rhythm running the ball. I mean, did that against IU a few times. He's got a couple games, that big upset against Ohio State. He got in a pretty decent rhythm running the ball um, and gouged them for some big runs. Uh, but in general, I think a lot of it is just like he likes to call him pass plays and he thinks that he's going to beat you doing that. And he will do it if he's up 30, up three, down 10 like it does not matter he's gonna throw it so when Brom and Purdue did get in a rhythm running the ball what did that look like was it more north south was it stretching outside the tackles what what is the most successful Brom running game look like I liked last year he ran a lot of outside zone with Maccabi where he just sort of stretched that out and let the running, uh, you know, put the running back on that line and just let the back find that cutback lane where he just, you know, wash everything down and have Maccabi sort of cut it back. I like that uh, better. We just never really have the offensive line. I like, you know, like I said, I, I covered Kansas State and God, they're just beautiful like offensive line is yes. just like pornography. It's just like, oh my God, everybody's pulling, the, <laughs> the center is pulling, the right guard is pulling around and leading the sweep on the left. And Brom has never really got that. Uh, I liked him more than just the zone blocking, uh, you know, bl blocking down the, in, the, in the uncovered guys climbing and trying to get to that second level. Um, and also, he hits some some quick hitters there early early in his career at Purdue with like DJ Knox. That's sort of what he did against uh, Ohio State is he'd run run and then just hit like a real quick 
running back draw through the A-gap, and uh, that busted a, a good bit just because teams were just so used looking out for uh, – uh, or rushing up the field draws work pretty good because teams come after Jeff Rom offenses because they they're not they're going to challenge him to run the ball and they're going to do that by sending their defensive ends sending their tackle the defensive tackles are coming they're not holding they're not they're not clogging the gaps they're getting after it they're coming after the quarterback because that's I mean you're going to make Purdue beat run the or when John is there. If Purdue's going to run the ball and beat you, then good good job for Purdue. Um, that's what they're going to let you do, though. Vince, do you remember or recall a time uh, when Bobby Petrino was here? I think this would have been your, I guess, what redshirt freshman sophomore year, 2017. <laughs> One of the biggest issues that plagued them with running the football. Do you? I'm just going to ask you. Do you remember what it was? If you, if I had to just quiz you, uh, Lamar would never give it. That's honestly. a good point. But do you remember how bad Louisville was on the goal line running the football? I mean, it would be we would go first down Jeremy Smith, second down Jeremy Smith, third down Day Williams, no, fourth I don't down Jeremy that. Smith. Yeah, he's blocked it out of his memory because two and ten was so bad. It's yeah. just like Heisman Trophy. Uh, I can't. I mean, we got beat by LSU and Mississippi State, and other than that, you know, everything else is kind of a wash. <laughs> well, my point being is we've seen uh, one of the things I found interesting, Drew, in kind of reviewing a lot of the the the, the kind of articles and, and film breakdowns that you've done over time is is seeing this kind of continued issue in the red zone with running the football in short yardage situ- situations. You know, being first in goal on the five yard line, the three yard line, and them taking three, four, five, three, four, you know, chances to get the ball in, and ultimately, you know, either not scoring and having to kick a field goal or turning the ball over what's the fundamental breakdown there, right? Because with Bobby Petrino, I, I could never figure it out because his first time around, they could score at will in the goal, on the goal line with running backs. You know, obviously Michael Bush helps that quite a bit. But this right. time, the second time around, right, Jeremy Smith was a big pounder. You had other guys like a Malik Williams who was lesser known to maybe nationally, but they struggled to get the football in the goal line. Offensive uh, so line got fire off the ball. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's the problem that for you too. And you got your guys pass pro, pass pro, pass pro, pass pro. And then you get inside the 20, you're like, all right, guys, bite down. Let's get after it. And it's just not, it's just not there. At least it wasn't for Purdue, where it is part of it is the running game. I just, I've never looked at Brom's running scheme and said, this is what Brom likes to do. I think Brom ran the ball because he had to not because he wanted to and it was just a lot of sort of generic a gap stuff maybe he'll he'll slide off and try to like pull the tight end through the b gap and use him as a lead uh but um it's just it was always a finesse team um it felt like that purdue's gonna finesse 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 and if you shrunk the field and turned it into a fight they were gonna it was just it was a struggle to get a lot of times like I said you know I would rather Purdue be like second or like third in like five than third in two like I, I would love to see like the conversion ratios of that because I would rather Purdue under Brom be third and five third and six and third and two third and three because he it's just when, whenever that strengths he just struggled it seems like when it came down to like I'm going to punch all in the face we're going to get three yards 
that was not the strength of Purdue. So you mentioned earlier just watching Kansas State football and watching how how much in motion those offensive linemen um, are in that offensive system. Is that something that Jeff Brom O-lines just don't do? Are they more so reliant on just straight ahead? Mm-hmm. Pass pro, pass pro, zone block, more of a zone blocking scheme, power scheme where they're pulling their guards. They're, they just – and some of its personnel, man, they just could not recruit offensive linemen. Like, like they just could not recruit, and they got rid of. Her. So I don't, I, and I don't know, you know, inside. I don't want to talk bad about anybody, but Dale Williams, for whatever reason, he was O line coach at Purdue for the whole Jeff, the whole Brown era, and he did not come to Louisville, which was interesting because I think he thought he was coming to Louisville, uh, but I'm not sure exactly how that went down. Uh, but um, it just – he did not have the guys to get it done. But he really relied on a lot of transfers um, and just could not recruit offensive lines. So, and that's part of, that could be part of the problem, and that could be fixed at Louisville um, through recruiting. Um, I don't think Brom put together anything better than an average line at Purdue. Uh, that was like peak, was like C+. Plus probably um and like the bottom was like f f minus and so see this is uh, this is the stuff that like i would have no idea about without talking to somebody covering purdue because you would look at them right and they they're able to do a lot of and i know this is probably not indicative of their offensive line but they're able to do a lot of quick hitting like get the ball out of the, the their quarterback's hands fast move quick like that would make you think that they have athletic offensive linemen who are able to keep but no it doesn't sound like i mean it really sounds like it's just this kind of like hodgepodge offensive line to just kind of put the pieces together enough to block for the quarterback yeah, I always used to say, like, sometimes I was like, oh, if we're just going to run the air raid, let's just call it the air raid and run the air raid because that's what it looked like uh, several years. It was just like, this is the air raid. We're going to go in the gun. Quarterback's going to catch a snap, and it's a race. Who can get the ball off first? The quarterback gets the ball off from the quick hitter before the defensive end buries the quarterback. That um, was some of the problem. That was sort of the offense for a while. Um and that, that got better. The offensive line did improve from, like, really bad to, like, serviceable. Last year was serviceable. The center was really good. Her, uh, he, um, he was probably Purdue's best offensive line recruit, uh, and he, you know, started as a freshman at the center um, and, uh, you know, has started the whole, you know, his entire career. And they got, in, uh, you know, transfer uh, tackle. And it's just it's never – Purdue, in the beginning, I kept telling people, he's recruiting these guys, these tall, athletic, skinny guys, and he's going to turn them into tackles and, uh, and guards who can move. And they just, they always just sort of stayed sort of skinny and tall. And that was it. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. I mean, y'all picked up, uh, I mean, y'all picked up uh, with Eric, Miller. Tackle, Eric, Miller. Eric Miller. Yeah. He's good. He's serviceable. Like, like that's. Yeah. He's not bad. He was a great. He was a basket. He was from Ohio. He was a great basketball player and a good basketball player in high school. He was one of those tall. I just, just, just yeah, randomly, yeah. no reason. But can he do a backflip? I just, just asking. I don't know. If he can do a backflip. He probably could do it when he was, you know, we recruited him. He was like two fifty, two sixty, and you know where where he is now. Uh, but you know, he's all right. He's all right. He's sort of been a. Play, uh, 
just play a little left tackle, play a little right tackle, you know, whatever's needed. Never really, really secured that job um, like you thought he probably would as an athlete. But again, he's a mid three star guy who's uh, a uh, sort of like we're hoping he's going to be better later on in his career. There was very few offensive linemen that he threw on recruited at Purdue where you're like, that's the dude. That dude looks like out the box. We're gonna we're gonna take care of business with this guy. Uh, a lot of us like, we're gonna see three years of what this looks like. Can he stay as quick at 300 pounds as he's at 260 now? Um, but um, who did y'all hire as the offensive line coach? Because like I said, I know Williams did not make that move with. Uh, well, Richard Owens. Yeah. Ryan yep. Wallace came with, with Jeff. Ryan Wallace is the, tied the, in. The tied right. Yeah. No, it was Richard Owens. Yeah. Which I, Vince, you want to speak on Richard Owens? That was one of your coaches back in 2018. He just, uh, pretty hard nosed guy. Somebody that can definitely get guys to fire off the ball. I would say, uh, a hard ass in a good way. Uh, cares about the guys, loves on the guys, but it will definitely cuss you up and down the field if you do not <laughs> have the right yeah. assignment. So, I mean, he's, he's awesome. He's a good guy to play for, for sure. I mean, I expect the offensive line to be, you know, improved from what Louisville had last year just because of him and his, you know, willingness to get guys to play and to play hard. You, it's almost like a, you have to play hard for him. Otherwise, he's just going to – it's going to be a bad day and bad days turn into bad weeks and turn into bad months, and that turns into the transfer portal. Yeah, and it's really interesting. One of the things that I find kind of, uh, you know, as an underrated storyline with Louisville's offensive line this year and, and really listening to, to, to you talk about the offensive line is the guys, how many they return this year. They bring back three three starters. We'll call it three, Michael Gonzalez, really more reserved last year. But you have Renato Brown, uh, who's a right tackle. You have your center in Brian Hudson, who is an honorable mention, ACC guy probably going to be an all ACC guy this year. Um, and then I'm missing, I'm missing one that I can, Michael Gonzalez. I just said that. Um, and, and one of the things that I find interesting about them is they're coming off of being coached by a guy named Nick Cardwell, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with. I mean, you've covered Clemson, so you might be familiar with Nick Cardwell. Um, yeah. He is a fiery feisty guy. Before that, it was Dwayne Ledford. These guys, you know, I think a lot of the times that what you inherit becomes what you are based off of you can't, you know, you can't treat, treat, teach an old dog new tricks. But these guys are feisty offensive linemen. They are going to kind of play with that edge. It's cost them a ton during the Satterfield era because they did play so aggressive at times. But I think it's interesting that when you what makes this team really interesting, and I think this is a good segue into talking a little bit more about the passing offense, is that there is a lot of things in place for Jeff Brom. Um, that really makes them a strong team. A lot of veterans, you got a lot of fast guys, you got a lot of different things. But one thing they don't have that I'm really curious about, and this is what I want to ask you is the tight end spot. Like this year, we're looking at Louisville bringing in a really dynamic tight end as a freshman, and he's probably going to end up seeing the field. Just to give you some reference, Matt said that he looks like, uh, who, what'd you say, Matt? It was like a, a Pixar uh, animated Mr. He's, Mr. He's, Mrs. Incredible. He's got an ass like a Pixar mom. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> what it is. I mean, this guy is built like a, like a bus, right? But Josh right. Lipson is the presumed starter. Um, he's a former walk-on. He caught one pass for a touchdown last year, which in Fiverr, if you're listening, I know that makes you proud. Uh, but just got three in the bit. spring game, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He and he played well, game. man. Yeah, he, caught, he got, played well. But tell me what a Jeff Brom offense without a tight end looks like. That's something to concern Louisville fans. Is that unproven tight end? Yes and no, because he's going to throw it to the tight end. So that dude better be ready. Better just be ready. He better be ready to play. He better be ready to catch the ball. Is he ready to catch the ball? Jeff Brown's going to throw on the ball because that's that's the B button. Or at least it was at Purdue. 
um, that he's going to control the middle of the field. Brom likes to split to spread the field wide and split the safeties down the middle with the tight end. Uh, that's one of his sort of pet plays um, uh, where he'll, you know, go four wide, uh, you know, three wide boundary, pull the safeties wide, and then send either Hopkins or uh, Durham just straight up the gut. And that's, he loves that play. Um, and so he's going to throw it. The tight end's going to be ready to catch it. Because that's he did that at Purdue the entire time he was there. That's a concern. I mean, we've talked a little bit about that. We'll get into it quite a bit over the next couple of weeks um, as we dive into each of the kind of the positions and stuff. But I mean, you don't have a proven option there. One guy I do want to call out here real quickly, and this might mean something to you, may not. For a lot of fans, they're gonna kind of be like, "Who is this?" But I was going back through the archives of recruiting, and I did find it interesting that Nate Karuski, who is a backup tight end from Washington D.C., didn't play last year for Louisville, was recruited by Purdue. That's a guy I'd keep an eye on for Louisville because that's somebody who obviously clearly fit the Louisville's the Purdue system to be offered back when Jeff Brom was recruiting that you know that for that position back in that would have been 2022. Um, he's a guy who fits the bill as a pass catcher, but didn't really get onto the field last year for a number of reasons. Louisville's tight ends, Vince, they, their number one thing was what blocking, right? That's what yeah. they did under Scott Satterfield. They blocked. That's yeah. why Vince, outside Marshawn. Yeah, outside of Marshawn, yeah, they, they blocked right, and so that's going to be a really interesting transition this year, and and kind of building off of that, right? So we, when looking at the offense, the tight end is such an important focal point. Uh, but back to the quarterback position, when you talk about Jack Plummer, you talk about that tight end being, a, a, you know, kind of like my son, right? My son carries around this dirty, old, worn tag blanket, and it's ripped, and it's it's a, you know, he's a one year old, and he, he's always rubbing it on his face, and it's it's his security blanket, right? For Jack Plummer, that's what his tight end. It's his tag blanket. Um, yeah. but for Jack Plummer, you know, when you're talking about being able to dissect a defense, is this a guy who can, you know, if that tight end is kind of the security blanket and always dumps down, is this a guy still though that can read the field? Is this a guy that can go through multiple progressions in a, in a passing play? Or is this more of a guy who's just going to look for that first option? If it's not there, I'm looking for my tag blanket. Yeah. Second, second thing. I just, I've covered a lot of Purdue and I've broken down a lot of plays and I could never, figure out the quarterback possession progression. I don't think, I don't know if there was one. I, there, I, I assume there is, uh, but it was last year. It was stare at Charlie Jones and stare at Charlie Jones and stare at Charlie Jones and hope to God that you don't get sacked and throw the ball. Um, and, or, and so and I say, uh, I, I say that like, you know, it's, it's a or B a lot of it's, either A or B. So he's going to run the play of the tight end or he's going to run the play uh, to the wide receiver. I, I don't know how much Brom puts on the quarterback to read the field. Um, I think Brom likes to read the field a lot and likes to do this pre the pre-snap stuff. Um and I'm not sure how many Purdue quarterbacks actually are like, all right, I'm going to look at my boundary. I'm going to go to the field. Then I'm going to go to the boundary. And I'm going to check down the tight end. Uh, I, I felt a lot of it is like, all right, we're running this play to the wide receiver. He's going to get open at this spot. I'm going to hold the ball and pat it, pat it. Is he, is he open? Maybe if there's a spot to get it into you, the, the QB is going to let it go. Like Aiden O'Connell put a lot of balls into tiny little windows to Charlie Jones. And then you sort of will pull back from the field and go, but like, 
the boundary dude is like open like this dude is open open and uh their o'connell is threading a needle like over the linebacker underneath the safety hitting that crossing route to jones instead of just saying i'm just gonna take eight yards right here on the sideline because my you know my other dude is just no the quarterback's bored because he doesn't he's just sort of like that's not when you look at Rom's scheme and how he likes to run his scheme and his tendencies, were you able to pick up like what sort of defensive schemes or setups that this offense had more success against than others? And simultaneously, are there types of defenses that this offensive scheme and mindset struggles against? Uh, yeah, so pressure up the middle hurts pretty a lot. Uh, you can get pressure up the middle. That's that that hurt Purdue a good bit. He did not do well with defenses that could get up in his quarterback's face and maybe make him go to that second read, um, or in third read and get off that first read. Um, and uh, so just defenses that get pressure, quick pressure up the middle. Um, that bothers everybody. Um, and again, with Jack Plummer, the the problem was just that he uh he's got to let the ball go because that was teams were just like, okay, you want to throw these, you know, 10 to 12 yard crossing routes. We're just going to drop our middle, our linebackers into that 10 to 12 yard zone. And you should feel free to run crossing routes against, you know, a couple of safeties sitting there and three linebackers sitting there and the corners almost sitting there too. And then just daring you to either throw it deep they're really just inviting you to throw it short and make, and then they, you know, rally up and tackle. Um, and that was probably, that was Purdue's, like Purdue's problem with, with Plummer is he wasn't, Plummer checks the ball out a lot. So if you want somebody that's going to read the offense and go, that's not there, check. So the short guy, toss it out to the running back in the flat, um, you know, hit the, hit the tight end, just sort of sitting at three, four yards for a pickup. Plummer will do that. He loves to do that. That was what he was good at at Purdue. That's why he had his completion percentage was so high, um, was that he would get off that first read. And that's why O'Connell took over, because O'Connell stayed with that first read, and he held the ball, and he was going to gun it into that window. Um, that was the same thing with uh, Elijah Sindelar. What made him a good quarterback or two, he was a big dude that just stood in the pocket and just gunned it to the primary. Um, and Braum was good at getting the primary receiver open. I mean, I say it like it's a bad thing, but you get my Braum is really good at getting the primary receiver open. That's what the Braum does. That's what he does. He gets his primary dude open. It's really a pro-style offense in that sort of vein where he's going to find a matchup. If he finds a matchup, he's going to beat it to death. Um, God, I was talking about that first year against Iowa. I felt bad for that cornerback because he found this Anthony Mahungu guy on the outside in single coverage and like on one deep ball. And Braun was like, oh boy, oh, it's going to be on. It's on. I swear, like 10 more of those passes. And that's how they, they won that game. And that's how they got, they got hot. If he finds something he likes, especially if he finds a mismatch and he creates one, he's going to eat it up all day so in the, in the passing game a running game is a little different he doesn't have the patience for that but if he finds finds a, a, something he likes uh, he's gonna make you stop it 
play you guys talk about trick plays real quick. Learn to love this flea flicker. He's gonna run this flea flicker. He's gonna run the flake, the fake flea flicker. Uh, the fake started working a lot better than the real one because <laughs> the quarterback pitches is the running back. He's gonna probably take the ACC a couple of years to catch on. It took the Big Ten a couple of years to catch on. That you saw in the Big Ten as soon as he made that pitch, where it's like, oh, this look, that the running back sort of runs up into like right behind the center and stops. The defense was just started bailing in the Big Ten uh, after like Brom's second year because he loves that flea flicker. Flea Flicker is a fun it. play. I mean, it, it really works, like you said, but it's a lot of fun. So let me ask you this, then. We'll wrap up the episode here on the offensive side of things uh, before we jump into defense here on the, on the second episode. But with the offense particularly, this is more of a long-term question and, de- and a development question. I, I don't think Brian Brom is going to be in Louisville very long. I don't think that he is going to be an offensive coordinator for too much longer. The guy has proven himself as being a developer of talent. Um, as somebody who can uh, help with an offense. Obviously, I know Jeff Brom is the offensive coordinator in a lot of ways, but uh, he has the title and he comes back back home in a role where he's got Jack Plummer this year. But when you look forward to the future, Louisville did bring in another Purdue guy in Brady Allen who will compete to be that top quarterback, a former four-star recruit. They also brought in Pierce Clarkson, who was a Scott Satterfield recruit who stayed within the class, who is more of a small Russell Wilson type of player who Jeff Brom has really never traditionally had at quarterback. Um, so when you talk about the development spot, let's talk about just Brian Brom and Jeff Brom as developers of talent. It is tough, man. Uh, so the weird thing that I'd like to bring up about Jeff Brom is, man, it seems like the dude should be able to recruit quarterbacks, but only one quarterback he recruited, Jack Palmer, started at Purdue. This entire time he was there, he only had one guy that he recruited that started a game, uh, and that was Jack Plummer, uh, and he got replaced. So Blau and Sindelar were Hazel recruits, and they he couldn't figure out which one he liked, and he liked them both, and he played them both. And every year it was like, who's going to be the quarterback, Blau or Sindelar? Um, and then one of them would get hurt, and the other one would start, um, which is literally how their careers went. Um, and then, you know, Sindelar uh, finally retired because he was just hurt all the time. Um, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, that poor dude, man. He was so good in high school. He blew his knee, destroyed oh, his knee in a state, state tournament and came in and then he blew it again and he blew it again. And it was just like, come on, oh. this dude's got like an NFL arm. But like by the time he got to his, his senior year, it's just like looking, watching me get out of bed, watching him get off the bench. It's just like, oh God, I'm getting out there, guys. Okay. <sighs> um, and so, you know, he, Brom finds a guy, I, he he hoards quarterbacks, but he and he sometimes can't decide which one he likes. But um, I'd like to see Brady Allen. I was a big Brady Allen fan. I think Brady Allen is going to be a good player. I was excited when Purdue landed him, uh, and uh, I was hoping he would stay. Um, out of sort of everybody that left, I think um, he was the one we're like, oh, that. Um, he's got the, the, the raw goods to get it done. Um, raw is sort of the, is sort of word. Um, you don't get a lot of great high school quarterbacks coming out of Indiana, uh, all, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, he put, but, uh, Bray played a pretty decent sized high school. Um, he's, he's got a lot of talent. 
I could see him doing well, or I could see him being a guy like. Uh, it is weird because I'm going to say there's a four-star guy that very recruited from New Jersey and I are New York uh, a couple of years ago to play quarterback, and I can't remember his name he, right now. He transferred out, but three years and you just never saw him. Um, are either starting or backup tight end. Paul Pierre Fieri was a Brom quarterback recruit. Um, and uh, I mean, Purdue's starting Hudson card this year um, and really doesn't have any holdovers yeah. from Brom. So really interesting. I would say that if I was a Louisville fan, a number one is is Bob a fine quarterback? He finds a quarterback. I mean, he won the Big Ten last, or his, you know, the division last year. Found the quarterback, had the quarterback in place, comfortable with the quarterback, good. But he will shuffle the quarterbacks, and if the quarterback doesn't do what he wants, is not the longest leash. All great insight here from from Drew Schneider of Hammer and Rails. Very exciting stuff for the offense when you talk about Jeff Brom. And obviously that's what you you get with Jeff Brom. That's what you always talk about from the moment he's been hired is the offensive prowess and what he's going to bring. We've seen a lot of great recruiting this offseason, bringing in guys like Jamari Thrash, Jack Plummer, Isaac Guriendo. We've got some guys coming into Louisville, um, and and there's certainly a lot of talent, and it's going to be really interesting to see what ends up happening with the offensive side of things. Uh, And not much longer to wait, only about, like Matt said, beginning. Only about 40 more days until football gets underway. That's going to wrap us up here for the offense. Thank you, Drew, so much for sitting down and talking with us uh, and previewing exactly what Louisville fans can expect and what it means to be led by Jeff Brom as a head coach. We will be back with episode number two as we preview the defense and look at what you can expect next season on the defensive side. Until next time, go Cards. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.